Now, back to your tech report. A couple weeks back, I happened to attend the NAB convention in Las Vegas. That stands for the National Association of Broadcasters. One of the companies I had an opportunity to sit down with is Backlight Creative. Mike Green is their CEO, and he tells us what the company's all about as we talk all about Backlight and their family of companies. Tell me about Backlight. What do you guys do? Terrific question. I know. So Backlight is a collection of fast-growing SaaS products for the media, entertainment, and video-heavy industries all across the video value chain. So script to screen, things like you know, starting sort of at the beginning of it, yeah. software for scripting and storyboarding and call sheets and budgeting and pre-production software. And that came from a company we acquired called Celtics. We've got software for production tracking and workflow management. And that's from a business that we acquired called F-Track, which is a, now again a product line inside of Backlight. There's software for media management across cloud and uh, collaboration and you know, review and approval and file sharing, and that's a solution called Iconic. Okay. And then inside of, that's, that's, and now that's a division of Backlight called Backlight Creative. Okay. And on the other side, there's something called Backlight Streaming, which is uh, solutions for live broadcasting sports and reflecting those streams into various social destinations or making AI-driven highlight packages and other streaming activities like making OTT apps and fast channels, and those come from product lines Wild Mocha and Zype, which again are two other companies that Backlight has acquired. So Backlight is a collection of SaaS businesses across the value chain that we've acquired and have you know, formed this new brand, Backlight. Your background is what? My background is, for a lot of my career, on that content side of things, okay. making things like OTT apps and so forth. But I actually have been on the kind of services provider side for a while, a lot of them in OTT and streaming and, and helping customers kind of do what I used to do, which was build OTT apps. And then I joined um, our, our CEO of Backlight, Ben Kaplan, as he was getting this thesis going and as the initial acquisitions were starting to happen to form what we then announced to the market as Backlight last spring. Do you find that the, the majority of the market is embracing this new generation of production? Because this is, to some of the older folks in the business, you know, old blood, it's hard to get people to do things differently. Yeah. It's a very new way of doing things. Well, you know, I think a lot of folks are just looking around at the, the macro trends and realizing why all the solutions that we've now acquired to become Backlight make sense and what the value prop is of each of them yeah. along the sort of, like I say, video value chain. Um, because there are kind of some, like I say, market trends in terms of the democratization of content creation which enables more cloud production, the move towards more remote work, which was accelerated by the pandemic, which needs for more remote collaboration and software tools to facilitate that. And also, the more on the streaming side, the growth in complexity in terms of endpoints and how you have to reach consumers. And managing that is kind of the focus of, of backlight streaming. So these are sort of macro trends that are pain points for our customers at the biggest media entertainment companies. And while we don't expect any of these given buyers inside of these major companies to need or use at least each one of our solutions, we kind of plug into their workflows and meet them where they are and accelerate, and as we say, dramatically improve each step of the video content creation lifecycle. You, how many years have you been in the business? Backlight sort of got started. So you personally. Oh, me personally? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Let's see. I would say, I mean, I, I, we, you know, we're on a microphone here, so we're yes. talking about. Uh, before I'm we not got asking on how old you are. I'm just no, asking. No. I just want to know how, how many, because I want to figure. I want to. I want to go back. I want to because. Yeah. I want to talk about the the way the industry is now. Because, so the answer is roughly 25 years. Okay. So you and I have been in this business very, very, very long yeah. time. Um, 
what led you down this road? Because you, you've been down the road uh, designing apps and building apps in the OTT space yeah. um, before, before you've been working at this company, right? So What's so interesting to me about that question is that like when I first, we were talking about radio as we were just before we hopped on the yeah. mic, and I worked for WBCN in Boston. Yeah. And we had these amazing artists coming into the studio like Ben Harper and uh, you know, I'm trying to think of who was of that era, right? Uh, you know, the Mighty Mighty Bostons, Give Me Boston, whatever. We would, obviously, they would do great interviews, they would perform live on air, and then what did we do with those assets after the fact? Yeah. We were just starting to figure out how to take those recordings and put them up on the website and let folks, I guess, If you had a website them, at that point, right? did you have a like, website at that point? <laughs> were they using like a real player or a yeah. app or whatever? But I was trying to tr like drive that strategy, and I don't know if that was sort of Apologies, legal at the time, like those rights, like there's no language around that well, really. There wasn't really, I mean at that point, that's that's what the whole copyright, you know, generation happened, I guess, in the two thousands when music started getting rights. Yeah. I mean an interesting story that you're telling because I was in the radio business when I first started, we were recording interviews on reel to reel. And I was cutting tape between breaks and playing things back during a morning show. Yeah. And I was the one who said, why don't we put a computer in this room here so we can record it? Because I'm doing this stuff at home that you guys can't do here. Mm. And it kind of, similar paths, different directions. I stayed in the audio side, you stayed in the video side. Um, really kind of almost had to force people to realize that this is a path that's, com that's coming. Yeah. And I felt that it was, it, was, it was a bit interesting to try and convince people, but I did, and it seems that you have a similar situation. Well, I, it's, I didn't, you know, my path was far from linear, but I mean, in my current world with respect to media asset management, you know, we have this solution I mentioned called Iconic. One of their most important customers is Spotify, and they use, Spotify uses their media asset management to manage the intake of all of these podcasts that are coming from all their podcasting partners, which then get up onto the spot Spotify platform, uh, which is, you know, if we had had that back in WBCN days, it would have been amazing, but, you know, yeah, we've exactly. obviously made things a lot easier and faster and more secure with greater visibility, with greater flexibility for how people want to work. Your company, uh, um, obviously, you're more, you work more with broadcasters and, and those, those kind of partners, right? Well, it's interesting. I mean, across Backlight, yes, I mean, we're here at the NAB, and if you look at who uses Wild Mocha, it's the biggest sports broadcasters, I, I, you know, you can see them on their, on their website. Uh, but with something like Iconic, which is very much leaning into the democratization of content creation yeah. and, and management, you know, the major holding companies all have agencies who use Iconic for some reason or another. Smaller agencies than that can, can quickly spin up teams of four or eight people and start managing and sharing and doing reviews and approval using uh, Iconic. I mean, Celtics, you know, again, at the earliest part of our, our of the content lifecycle is used by millions of screenwriters. So we all kind of are leaning in as backlight into the media entertainment and, and content creation and distribution ecosystem slash workflow. But, um, and broadcasters are certainly one of the most important constituents yeah. in that mix, but they're not exclusively, you know, the where we play. Uh, the last thing I would say about that quickly is if you look at, Iconic releases this um, analysis of all the media that's in their kind of registered system over the course of a year. And while video is like 90 something percent from a size perspective, the number of assets actually is heavily also PDFs and text and um, photos and images, right, and audio. And right? does that come back just to guess the review cycle and the budgeting side and everything else that goes along with it? Um, I guess our customers can use it for whatever they need to in yeah. their workflows. I mean, in a lot of cases, certainly with things like OTT, you have the actual, you know, 
two-hour movie file, but you have yeah. a trailer which is short, you've got uh, imagery for the marketing materials, that stuff lives in Iconic. It also gets used by Zype if you're going to assemble an OTT experience, which is what Zype helps customers do. You need to have the right thumbnails for the movies that are in the OTT service and all that sort of stuff. And so we've been focused on connectivity between our various solutions to enable people to you know, store all their archive and a lot of this stuff in Iconic and manage the kind of post-production, who can touch what but also how that connects to the people who are making OTT apps or making fast channels or other things that our customers need to do. How do you, how do you gauge what the customer needs and what to work and what to focus on? That's a great question. Usually they come to us with some sort of opportunity that they're trying to take advantage of or problem that they're trying to solve. And you know, we, I think, are decent at doing discovery with like, hey, we can see you have this type of content and you have maybe an OTT presence and have you considered fast channels, free ad supported television, an acronym that I'm sure most people know, but in case not, right? But <laughs> now you do. <laughs> making a, a full linear channel that goes to like a Samsung TV Plus instead yeah. of what you would have given to you know, your broadcast channels that, or cable networks that go to Comcast or something. Um, Industry-wise, I mean, with this, with this shift to streaming, I mean, it seems like it happened so fast, but it didn't happen fast. It happened kind of over time. Where, where is it going next? You know, and we'll get to AI in a second because mm -hmm. that's a big question that I got it for you. But you know, people are consuming where they want, how they want, and we have, as consumers, have way more control. Mm -hmm. But do we? <laughs> well, I think it's you know, we 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 if we have enough money, I guess we do as consumers have yeah. control because we can just go around and assemble uh, an array of a la, carte, a la carte services to watch pretty much whatever we want to watch. But it's not necessarily a great user experience. So there's a lot of discussion, of course, about the bundling and unbundling, and when you see a, a content provider like WWE say, you know what, we're not doing our own OTT network anymore, our own, you know, we, we were just giving our content to, licensing it to Peacock, yeah. let them be the mega aggregator. You know, those are, there's a seesaw in a lot of these businesses about you know, uh, control of the end customer relationship or not, or how broad should you be versus how specialized, and whether there's better ROI with each of those approaches. Like, we're, we're inclined to work with whatever strategy the content owners have in their minds. So that being said, you also alluded to the fact that, that customers use your solutions in different ways. Everybody uses it in a different yeah. way. Yeah. Um, is there any particular solution or in a way that someone's used it that surprised you? You've been like, oh, that's an interesting approach. I never really thought of that. Yeah, well, um, you know, it, it's, it's such a different answer by sort of product line, because each product line deals with a different part of the video value chain. But in, in like Zype's world, let's say, you've got customers who can uh, monetize their content by making an AVOD service, ad-supported video-on-demand service, a subscription service, a TVOD or transactional video-on-demand service, a live version. They could just make fast channels. They could just do short form. Like there's so many ways. And you know, smart companies have a good sense of the value of their content in any of those contexts and can do a mix of, of models. So I'm not really surprised oftentimes What's interesting for me though is in something like F-Track, which is on the creative side of the house, which has software for production tracking and workflow management, it's not just VFX studios with complex pipelines you know, assembling content for a Marvel movie who, who use this stuff. It's you know, um, product companies like enterprises who make like sealants. We found a company who makes sealants <laughs> who have all this video content about how you properly use those yeah, materials. And they had to know step by step who's doing what in the video sort of assembly pipeline. Uh, they want the same visibility and uh, security, I guess, as, as some of the major studios. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I never really even thought about that. Um, talk AI for a second, because we talk about sure. things that are going a little bit too fast than I think we can all handle. Um, it's been what, we're now May? Or April? We're April, so we're what? It's been four months since everybody in the world has heard about ChatGPT, and suddenly all anybody is hearing about AI. This has been going on for longer than just what people have been hearing with ChatGPT-wise. Where do you see AI fitting into this kind of workspace and this workflow for your customers? Yeah, well I'd say all of our customers in some form are, you know, experimenting or thinking about how AI can help them. A lot of times if you're a, you, know, you recognize the power of video as a communication medium and you want to kind of upscale your ability to participate in delivering messages with video, then you're interested in this generative AI approach to video and can it be good enough and maybe it's a combination of course of human editorial excellence and you know, bringing more video to bear at scale with, with AI. Um, each of our sort of product lines has their own way that they think about delivering what the customers need with AI. So in the case of Wild Mocha, again, that just, I know for your listeners I've named a bunch of products, but it's, it's, they help with live sports broadcasts. And, and we use AI to rezone those, meaning identify that, oh, this is about to be consumed on a cell phone. We're going to turn what's a 16 by 9 wide into a vertical video, and we're going to use AI to reframe that it stays focused on the speaker's head even as they move around, or the ball as the ball moves around a soccer field. We're going to use AI to generate um, highlights packages as soon as the soccer match ends of all the red cards given, all the goals scored, all that sort of stuff. That's AI-driven use cases. Um, with Iconic, there's a lot of AI from a partner ecosystem to enrich metadata to understand object recognition, what was in this video, yeah. or speech to text, or any of these other models. So there's kind of some example like that in each of the areas in where we play. Yeah, no, I could, I could see that just in just asset management, trying to just tag things with the right tags to make sure you could find stuff down there. Script writing, I mean, the well, amount, that's, I mean, an incredible use case. We've seen experimentation there. I mean, people saying, hey, write me a, a script that's a romantic comedy about two yeah. women sharing an apartment in New York and one of them, you know, X, Y, or Z. And, you know, I think that the artists in our community, because we care about the creators, are still saying, hey, you know what, like, there's not a lot of heart in that. I'm not losing my job because of that yet. But I think there's a lot of experimentation out there and, and um, you know, there's a lot of ethical issues that have, of course, been talking about and how those models are trained on other people's IP and all that stuff. Um, so I think it's early days, but I'm excited to see the curiosity both yeah. within our company and in our customer base. What excites you at NAB, National Association of Broadcasters? Convention happens, I mean, a couple years off, we're virtual. Yeah. What excites you about being here amongst the people? What are people excited about when they come to your booth? Well, on a personal level, what I'm excited about is that some of these conversations that can be you know, piecemeal over Zoom seem to accelerate and become so much more of a higher signal-to-noise ratio in person, which I really appreciate. It's a great chance to say thank you, both to partners and customers, but even to my colleagues who are from all over the world who've come together here, and that's a great opportunity. So that may be actually, I didn't plan on giving this answer, but that's kind of the <laughs> what I'm most excited about at our booth, is seeing all these amazing faces around us right now who've come from France, from Sweden, from Australia, and have a real passion for serving our customers. That is Mike Green, the CEO of Backlight Creative from NAB, just a couple of weeks back. This is your tech report. There's more your tech report after this. 
Kits. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have, have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy, democracy is something, something you do. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast. The show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.